Hello and welcome to the Outdoor Voices podcast, the podcast where we explore the world outside through interviews with the outdoor community. I'm your host, Bracken of BrackenOutdoors.com. Today in episode 12, I interview Emma Nock. Along with previous podcast guest Liz Benstead, Emma runs Liberty Farm CIC, a not-for-profit that seeks to help people to live happy and fulfilled lives through nature-based therapies and experiences. In this interview, we talk about Emma's specialization in equine therapy, including what the equine therapy actually is, how it is helpful for well-being, how to build the right professional approach to mental health, and much more. So, without further ado, as we'll just get straight into it. Emma, welcome to the Outdoor Voices podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, uh, this has been a long time in coming, but we we talked to your your mother in a previous episode, and she said, "Well, you've got to talk to Emma about equine therapy." So here we are. It's great. Yeah, thank you. So we get to chat. Uh, so uh, I usually start off with, as as with most guests, is uh, kind of to help people connect with you. And uh, could you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into? I imagine a lot of the outdoors, but the other equine side of it, and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah. Um, well, I've always been interested in kind of outdoor therapies, particularly using farming um to support people with whatever issues um that's sort of been from about when I was 18 I went to university to study to be a chartered surveyor and specialize in countryside management which would have then meant going on um to manage you know the big country estates for the Duke of Devonshire and, and things like that um the grand plan being then that I'd get to know some farmers and one of them would be like, hey, have my land for a bit. That'll be fine. Um, but actually that didn't, for various reasons, that didn't work out after university. Um, so whilst I was kind of casting around, thinking what else I could do um, to progress the sort of plan towards the care farming, therapeutic farming side of things, I was thinking that actually horses have always been a big part of my life. I started learning to ride when I was about eight. Um, so it made sense really to start with with that area because that was my sort of my outdoors expertise was working with horses. Uh, so I trained with an organisation called LEAP, which stands for Leading Equine Assisted Partnerships. I think I have that right. Um, trained with them in about 2016. Um Madly persuaded my husband to buy me a horse at that point so that I could start this work. Um, grand vision of buying a kind of youngish or out of work horse, working with it for a bit and then selling it on so that I covered my costs of having a horse for a year. But that ended up happening and she stayed with us for four years. Um, but she was a delight. She was really she was really good with the sessions. So I... Um, yeah, I was down in Reading when I did my training, but we moved back up to Manchester um, to be nearer my family. And that's where I set up the business that I run now with my horse, Maya. Um, and things have just kind of grown from there, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in what, what made you kind of connect therapy and horses, first of all, because you kind of go, OK, yes, you, you'd grown up around horses, but you immediately started thinking of the therapy route or was it a gradual thing? Um, 
I think it must have been a gradual thing. So when I was 18 and I was thinking, let's use a farm and being outside therapeutically, I hadn't really heard of any others that did that. So to my mind, it was this very novel, exciting idea. But I think actually there were quite a lot of other kind of farms and outdoor spaces being used in that way at the time. And it's gradually picked up from there. Um, I can't remember when I first came across using horses that way. It would have been a bit later, I think. Um, but at some point between 18 and mid-20s, I realised that you could use horses therapeutically. So I was like, yes, that is what I want to do. Um because they're just they're great animals to be around. There's an awful lot of different ways that you can use them in this type of work, um, and many different areas of people's lives that you can cover. Yeah, so you so you kind of started off with a kind of more holistic, I guess. So if you're talking about farm therapy, you're talking about things like uh, like gardening, as market gardening, and that kind of stuff, as well as. Just being around animals in general. Yeah, people do that a lot. So, um, yeah, having small, like you say, market gardens or vegetable gardens for people to care for. Hens are quite popular because they're small and easy to manage. Um, But I think there are a few. So there's kind of at one end of the scale, you've got the more sort of hobby farm where everything's very small. You might have a handful of sheep and a small vegetable patch. But on the other end of the scale, you'd have your farm that's a full-on working sheep farm and they've got hundreds or thousands of sheep and people come in and get involved with that so again you know there's loads of different ways of working to to use the outdoor environment and animals to support people okay great uh, so well i admit that that i am woefully ignorant on the the whole subject of quite a Part of why I wanted to have this chat with you. I, I first came across it when I was visiting uh, my father in South Africa, and he had um, his his wife, her uh, niece was was disabled, and she was, and they used the two of them used to take her once a week to equine therapy there. So I heard a little bit about it there, and then when I talked to Liz, I heard a bit more, and but. Can you just give us a kind of broad overview of of what it is and possibly where it came from, if you knew? Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned the person being disabled. Um, So one of the very first uses of horses was riding for the disabled. So that's um, what it says, really. It's riding sessions catering for people with various disabilities. So generally much quieter, calmer horses that are and a setup that makes it safe for people with disabilities. Um, but the kind of therapeutic approach that I take doesn't involve riding. And that, I think, kind of started in in America 15, 20 years ago with war veterans. They realised that being around horses was, um, was kind of helping people to recover from the traumas of war. They weren't actually doing anything specific at that point. It was just having them around the horses and helping care for them. So initially, the programmes were just about getting people in to learn about how to care for horses and just spend time with them and handle them and look after them. And that in itself was proving to be therapeutic. But from there, various different models have developed where there's more there's more kind of a coaching element, like a personal life coaching element or 
counselling psychotherapeutic element included with the session so that you're not coming to learn about how to look after an animal you're coming and you're interacting with the animal in a way that's specifically designed to help you explore what's going on in your life and how to make changes and improve the situation that you're in so that's the model that um that I follow I'm not trained as a counsellor so I do the, the sort of the life coaching side of things where it's very forward focused we look at the situation someone's in now and where they'd like to be and how they can get to that place how they can manage the difficulties they've currently got going on so that it's less stressful for them um, and like I said there's no there's no riding of the horses but in a typical session they might come and just hang out with the herd in the field um, spend time relaxing out there, seeing how the different horses are impacting on their mood or their emotions, how they feel, and then kind of exploring that. Or in other sessions, we'll take one or two horses into a smaller space, um, typically an arena with an all-weather surface. And then there's there's the whole range of activities that we can do um, to kind of role-play what's going on at the moment for them um, and just see, see how they react and how the horse reacts. And then use that to kind of start the conversation about what changes they can make. So it, it sounds like, um, so how, how do people usually um, find you or, de or decide that this is something that you get referrals or is it kind of word of mouth or just people that you think might be interested? Yeah, at the moment, um, it's mostly referrals. We have really good connections with our social prescribing team in the area um, and they they refer people directly to us. So if they tend to be embedded in the GP surgeries and if they come across someone who's kind of just sort of just broadly struggling with life, um, then they can get referrals to us. We've got a few different programmes, so some of them are one-to-one. -one. We've got some group stuff as well. So depending on what's kind of most appropriate for that, that person, they can choose different settings for coming and working with us. Yeah, so so you you, you take the, the people that that maybe don't have something that, that would actually need a full-on counsellor. It's, it's more uh, dealing with a broader range of, I guess, lighter, is it? Yeah, I mean, if someone um, if someone was referred to us and we kind of looked at their referral form and thought they actually needed to see a counsellor, then we would um, we would probably refer them back and say, actually, this person needs to see someone with counselling training um, because working with the horses can be quite emotional at times. They do pick up on what's going on for us and if something kind of kicked off in a session that brought up historic trauma for a client, then they need to be in a situation where they've got someone who can support them through that. So we are um, we are fairly careful with the, the issues that we work with. Um, and if we think we don't have the skill set to manage that current issue, then, yeah, we'd, like I say, we'd refer them back to a counsellor. But having said that, I have worked with some people who, have previously seen a counsellor or are currently seeing a counsellor um, and we just make sure that they know in advance that I might pause the sessions if necessary while they speak to their counsellor about what's going on and then come back once they're ready. Yeah I think that's that's really important that's that's actually something that I think I talk 
talked at least in the interview with Liz, but possibly in the interview with Dave as well, and then in person in the last Excellence in Woodland was where they did a little breakout session about uh, kind of bushcraft and well-being and everything. I uh, was kind of underlying that you don't really want to be someone who opens up a wound and then without any knowledge of how to stitch it up metaphorically, yeah, just kind of uh, rumbles about. It's you. You need to be careful about what you get involved in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our sessions, the the initial sessions are all about the the grounding techniques and the relaxation techniques, so that if we see something kind of beginning to kick off, then we can bring the person back and and help them practice one of their techniques for calming down again. Um, so that they're back in a safe place as soon as possible. But I also, I get regular supervision, so I'm in frequent contact with someone, um, one of my tutors, who's, who is a counsellor as well. So she knows really clearly kind of where that boundary line is between counselling and life coaching. And so we'll, we'll often talk together if I've got a client that I'm not sure about taking on um, or a client where I've got kind of halfway through the process and things are kicking off or kind of coming up that I don't think I can safely work with, then I talk with my supervisor about that and um, kind of take her advice on board for how to kind of handle that situation. Yeah, I, I, I have, the more I talk to other people who are in the kind of, kind of counselling and wellbeing space, a lot of, it, all of the professional ones, they, they tend to kind of underline that they themselves are seeing a counsellor as well and yeah. making sure that there's there's someone that they can talk to so that they're approaching things from the healthiest point possible mm. and also knowing kind of where the boundaries are and where it's kind of like okay maybe I need to even if I'm a qualified counsellor maybe I need to bring in someone with a bit more experience in this area because I might not be the right person and it's yeah. kind of stepping back and recognizing that I guess is an important part of of doing the right thing. Yeah. Mm. And the supervision is a great aspect of my work because um, even if even if working with someone like their issues haven't brought anything up for me because I'm working with horses um, and for a time I was working with my own horse sometimes there's just something that comes up for me about my reaction with my horse and how she behaved in a session so then so then I, I go back to my supervisor and, and we have long discussions about why when my horse did that thing it upset me and <laughs> kind of resolving my relationship issues with my horse um so it's it's counseling for me at the same time um and making sure that I'm in a kind of safe and healthy place to be able to support other people yeah it's it's the uh yeah put on your own oxygen mask first type thing it's, yeah yeah if, if you're not in the right mindset, then you can't really be able to help other people. Yeah, so um, I wonder whether I can roll it back a bit to to the, the actual therapy. So what, what makes horses special in this? I, I think I've heard some bits and pieces, but I'd be interested in hearing your perspective. Yeah, um, many things. So... The fact that they're a herd animal, um, so they're, they're used to interacting with each other um, 
with obviously non-verbally so almost entirely body language so that they're they're always reading the body language of each other and also kind of other animals that are around um but then then that there i find because they're a, a prey animal not a predator so i mean you, you people do use for example dogs therapeutically but it's a very different relationship because the dog we've bred dogs mostly to to want to work with us and cooperate with us for food whereas a horse there's always food available for a horse um so it's not quite the same priority for them and they don't spend that much time with humans relative to a dog that lives in someone's house the whole time a horse might only spend two or three hours a day out of 24 interacting with people rather than the rest of their herd of horses so it's a kind of a different relationship when you come into interacting with a horse but then also you compare a horse with other herd animals like cows or sheep we have domesticated the horse to a point where it's much easier to handle um, and to be around they're, they're used to being taken out of the herd and being on their own with someone in a different space um, they used to us riding them doing all sorts of different things with them in a way that you just wouldn't with a cow or a sheep so you get a different um, a different level of feedback from them they are much more comfortable interacting with us um, and then yeah just kind of coming back to the the body language thing that they it's not just the other horses body language that they're reading they're always reading other animals as well so they do broadly see us as a predator because of our eye position being in front um, but equally they know when a predator is there to be threatening and when it's not there to be threatening so I think I've heard anecdotes of people saying that in the wild you'd see a herd of zebras drinking from a watering hole and a lion at the same time and they're not bothered because the lion wasn't stalking them so they know in that moment that actually the lion's not a threat so they're not going to waste their energy responding to it so they they know you know when we're threatening or or when we're not and they they read our body language and they react to it and that gives us extra information about what's going on because i've had clients come in and halfway through a session they're just going I'm the most relaxed I've ever been and I'm looking at the horses who are all still not stressed but a little bit more on edge than they were yeah. before we arrived and I'm going you're not relaxed or at least I'm thinking you're not relaxed I'm not saying it to my client at that point necessarily um, but it just shows that we don't necessarily know what's going on in our own bodies and sometimes it kind of takes that external environment and the external reactor to go actually that's not what's happening and then the horse is reacting to what's genuinely going on and you can go to the client well why do you think the horse did this in this situation and what is that saying about kind of the emotional and physical state that you're actually in right now and is it the same as where you think you are and it gives you that just kind of faster insight into what's going on for someone at a particular point in time so that you can get to the heart of the issue it's quite easy if you're just chatting room-based or particularly kind of over a screen like this to hide what's really going on um, and to say the words that you think someone wants to hear but the horse isn't bothered by the words that you're saying it doesn't know what they mean it's just going off what your body language is saying so then you can kind of pay attention to whether there's that congruence between what you're saying and what your body is saying and if there's a mismatch then why is there a mismatch and what can we do about that
Yeah, so, so it sounds like they're a lot more sensitive to it. I, I was just thinking when you were talking about the difference between, a, say, a dog and a horse, and thinking about so much of the domestic dog behaviours are something that we've trained them to think about, not we've trained them to react in a certain way to us. Ways. I think there was a study or something or other where they had they brought up uh, wolf cubs and dog cubs. Uh, mm. uh, sorry, Wolf and dog puppies, I should say. Uh, wolf comes, yeah, okay. Um, and they they would do things like point to something, and the dogs would look. The wolves wouldn't, because this is almost that domesticated. Okay, the humans point to a finger. That means there should be something over there. Mm. As also their training. Whereas with a horse, you, as you say, we haven't had that much domestication and that we haven't controlled their behaviors that much and so they they're reading uh kind of more truth of our behavior not just reacting in the way that we want them to but reacting in the way that you would do as a as a predator prey species mm. interaction yeah and i guess it in that way it doesn't let you hide from your feelings in the same way because you've i mean there's i know sometimes when i've felt thought okay i'm i'm fine i'm fine and then i realize that i don't know i've got a lot of tension in my jaw or shoulders or something and and i realize actually no i'm not yeah and it's it's just kind of raising that that level of awareness so that people can then do something about it because if you haven't noticed that you're carrying tension somewhere in your body then you might your brain probably has subconsciously so it's going to be bringing up anxious thoughts or depressed thoughts or other kind of negative emotions associated with the tension in that body part and then you know if it's brought up anxiety you're going to be going well, I need to worry about this thing and that thing and the other thing. But maybe you don't. Maybe you just need to go and get a massage or have a hot bath or go and have a sleep. So it would make more sense to do those things. But in order to look after your physical self, you need to have noticed what's gone wrong in the first place. Um, and so a lot of us, we're not really used to paying attention to how our bodies are impacting on our emotional and mental state. So we haven't got those associations that when we start having a negative emotion we just kind of run with it and assume it's true but actually it might just be coming from something physical and physiological inside us that we could do something different about um and that is what i what i love about the work with the horses um because they do they do have different characters and some of the kind of the little ponies that i've worked with don't really care what mood you're in when you show up they just love people anyway so they'll come over and they'll be cheerful and they'll say hi but my horse was quite a stressed horse. Not like stressed, she was happy, but she was more alert to other people's tensions. And if I ever showed up in a bad mood or stressed or pushed for time, she was off. She wasn't interested in engaging with me when I was in that state. And sometimes I'd rock up and be like, why is she now the other end of the field? And you just have to kind of just stop and take a moment to think, well, am I in a hurry today? Because that's an unfair pressure to put on a horse, really. Um, has something annoyed me earlier in the day that's still annoying me now and I haven't really resolved it? And it makes you 
yeah just kind of pause and pay more attention to what's going on for you so that you're not unnecessarily taking that negativity around with you um and yeah and the horses can be really good at just kind of reflecting that back at you and going well you're not in a great mood today so come back when you're happier yeah so it's it's really yeah I, I totally agree that a lot of people aren't in tune with with what they their emotional state and physical state is and I, I think it's because often to get on with life we kind of have to suppress those those feelings mm-hmm. and just like I might be feeling stressed and overwhelmed but you know what I've still got to do my job my children still need to be looked after they still need to get that spreadsheet up by the end of the day whatever it is and yeah I think it's definitely worth getting more in tune do you do you feel like you notice a bit more before now before you get to the point where you kind of walk into the paddock and go oh I am actually stressed when you actually catch yourself before is it still yeah to some extent I still I still have to kind of have deliberate moments in the day to remind myself to check in I think for me that's partly because I have um, chronic health issues so if I was always aware of the discomfort or the pain or the fatigue that I was experiencing then I would just not do anything um, yeah. so there is a time when you just have to be like okay I'm just putting that to one side for now and carrying on with life otherwise it doesn't happen um, but you can then get into a habit of constantly pushing it to one side and carrying on with life rather than taking that time to check in and go well actually maybe now is a time to have a break um so the nice thing about working with the horses is that just before you go into the field with them it's always a good moment to stop and check how you're doing so that you don't you don't kind of trigger something with the horses and then blame them so if I go into the field without having checked in with how I'm doing and it is a day when I'm in a bit of a rush or um, struggling for some other reason. And then the horses are that little bit more difficult to catch or handle that day. And then I'm going, oh, what's wrong with the horse? But actually, it's me. It's not really fair to have then put that on the horse and to kind of blame them and then be trying to work out what's wrong with their environment when actually it was me. Um, but yeah, then there are just other moments when... I have to remind myself so I find that I get very miserable when I'm cold but I tend to get miserable before I've noticed that I'm cold so now I consciously remind myself am I cold and then I'm like yes okay well let's go and get a hot water bottle and put another jacket on or something get under a blanket have a hot drink and then 10 minutes later I'll be like life's wonderful so it's just knowing what your personal triggers are for particular emotions um and then reminding yourself to check for them and and see what's going on um but that's yeah that's definitely one i picked up with the horses because if it's a rainy day and the wind is blowing and it's five degrees then they're miserable too so i just tend to if i've got a client on a day like that i either try and rearrange or we actually do something that's mostly inside, kind of just looking out at the horses and reflecting on what's going on rather than expecting the horses to engage in a situation where actually they're not happy because they're cold and wet. Um, 
and they don't really want to don't really want to engage with anybody in that point they just want to kind of hunker down and wait for the bad weather to pass yeah it's it's again looking looking after all all sides of the of the relationship there you, you can't have it one one sided you're only worried about one one person yeah. or horse's well-being you need yeah. to make sure everyone's in a good space yeah. to be there the situations like that are good because i'm not not really just working with the person who's coming to this session i'm working with all the relationships that they have as well so it's good to have those moments when you stop and think well actually maybe the reason i've had an argument with that person wasn't me it was that something external that i don't know about has affected them and they've brought that negativity with them um, and then that's impacted on discussion that you've had together so you know you can't you can't control what other people bring to the conversation, but it helps to be aware that maybe they've brought something in um, and you just need to kind of work on how to keep yourself and your body relaxed and calm rather than responding to somebody else's negativity or whatever they've brought. Yeah. So, so... Uh... So we've talked a bit about kind of how 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 it works, but how what, what does the the process sort of look like? So you get someone new and they they decide, I don't know they they would be they have a problem with anxiety or depression or something and or just just feeling a bit overwhelmed in their life. Uh, Where do you kind of start them off with everything? Um. Well, yeah, well, I start them off. So they come for kind of their initial sort of introductory session um, where, yeah, we start with sort of the introductions of the, the grounding techniques. So we have two or three like kind of slow breathing exercises or um, taking time to, to really kind of meditate, contemplate something that helps you feel calm. So, um you know, people have different things, different spaces where they feel safe and calm and content. Um, and when, when your brain is imagining something, it doesn't particularly notice the difference between what you're imagining and the actual event. So it helps bring your body down and kind of return it to that place that it that it was in. So one of my favourites is just snuggling up in bed with a good book and a cup of tea. So if I spend time thinking about that, then you know you can just feel you can feel yourself relaxing and your breathing slowing down and your heart rate slowing down and just feeling calmer just while you think about something nice and calm um and then then we do uh sort of a body awareness exercise so it's a bit like mindfulness but we don't try and exclude any thoughts we're much more interested in actually seeing what crosses your mind as you're focusing on different parts of your body. So I'll talk the person through, you know, focus on your head and your shoulders and your arms, whatever, each part of your body in turn, see what it feels like, um, but also see what emotions you have whilst you're concentrating on that part of your body and any thoughts that cross your mind. Um, you know, different people sometimes have different colours associated with different feelings or different body parts um, or just, you yeah, know, sometimes quite random things. 
but the point is just to kind of check in with where you are um, so that we can see if it changes at any point because if you don't know what your starting point is then yeah if a bit later you suddenly like oh I feel like my hand hurts now or it doesn't and I think it did before and you're like well did it before and you're like well you don't know because you didn't stop to check so you can't measure the change if you didn't kind of take that baseline reading and then yeah then in the first session that's when we go out into the field with the horses and I get the client just to kind of wander around and um, without talking to the horses because we're trying to stay non-verbal and teach them how to listen to their body get them to see how they feel near different horses with any of them do they feel happier near some rather than others do they have a favorite any that they're really drawn to for any particular reason um, but also as they're doing that getting them to kind of keep checking with their body how it feels and if anything has changed to so whether any particular horse has an impact on their pain or their tension levels in any different part of their body because um, it's not just the horses reacting to us we also react to the horses um, and we all we all do it as part of conversation we kind of mirror each other's body language um, and that's how we that's partly how we pick up on other people's emotions because if you see someone who's kind of hunched over and maybe feeling a bit depressed and then your body kind of mimics that and some of your brain neurons fire for that hunched over posture then you might start feeling a bit depressed as well um, even if it's subconsciously and that's how you recognize that that's how kind of how someone else is feeling so we'll be doing that with the horses as well kind of sort of mimicking some of their posture and how they're doing so that their calm state and their slow breathing brings us down and helps us relax. Um, and then, yeah, then we just sort of see what happens. That's one of my most fun sessions. I'm just standing in a field of horses. Um, but the clients often find it quite profound. We don't give ourselves much space just to be very often. So a dedicated time just to go and stand in a field and just wait and see what happens and see which horse you likes um, can be really, really powerful. And it's always interesting from my point of view, seeing which horses they're drawn to because people are drawn to different characters um, and, you know, different sizes of horses, all sorts of different reasons. So, because I know the horses quite well, it's quite interesting to kind of have that little bit of extra information about someone, about which horse they've liked that session and sometimes I've had clients kind of love one horse one session and then they come back the next week and they hate it or vice versa and you're just like that's interesting um so it's, it's like it's almost like the they're reading something into the the body language on a subconscious level that they're going okay I kind of identify with this horse yeah so we talk about um what do we mirrors and medicine so i think like the medicine horse is the one that that you need but it can be kind of the opposite of where you're at at the moment and then the mirror horse is the one that is kind of where you're at at that point in time so um that's a really good way of describing it yeah <laughs> yeah so sometimes you know we've got with the herd that i've been working with most recently there's a horse in there who's got some sort of we're not sure what it is, but some sort of muscle myopathy that means she often gets kind of seized up and quite sore. So she needs to do kind of constant low grade movement to keep herself relaxed. 
So, and she's the one that clients often have quite a strong reaction to, particularly if I've got a client with some sort of muscle or health condition themselves that causes them tension and pain. Um, they either love her or hate her, basically. They either they either kind of see that similarity and love it, it feels familiar, or they actually don't like the reminder that their muscles are hurting right now as well. So they'd rather go and hang out with a horse that doesn't have muscle issues so that it can bring their own tension down. But either way, it's always always interesting to see how people react to kind of the, the different horses. Because, um, yeah, a strong reaction to a particular horse is information of sorts. You can't really say what information in the first session, um, but it's something that I'd hold on to and maybe bring up later on if I thought it was likely to be relevant. Are, are people often quite nervous? I mean, we're, we're not usually that used to anymore interacting with animals that are approaching our size or larger. Yeah. Um, so actually, again, when you talked about why horses, um, that's kind of one of the reasons why horses and not like a sheep um, is that their size does make them stronger than us. Um, so, yeah, sometimes sometimes I have had clients who are kind of quite wary of the horses initially, and then we just start, you know, the other side of a fence um, and go go at the client's pace in terms of approaching the horses and, and interacting with them. Um, but that's also, you know, it's another good time to talk about, well, how does that person approach other situations in their life that that worry them um do they tend to just jump in feet first and just sort of panic and rush through it which some people do which you know wouldn't work with the horses because if you panic and rush in with them you're probably going to startle them a bit and they're not really going to come close um or do you just avoid the situation entirely which is also probably not helpful so you just use that to kind of explore how they can improve their own confidence and again like using body language the posture that we hold impacts our confidence levels so I might explore with the client what would it feel like actually if they held a more confident posture if they stood a bit taller and um, made sure they were standing squarely and evenly balanced on each foot um, and does that then change how how their emotions feel and and how they then feel about going in with the horses um but yeah it's kind of hard to say like this is what i do in this situation because it entirely depends on the person and the horses and the weather and all sorts of different things you're kind of constantly reacting to what's going on in front of you so when i first started out i always had like a plan because that's what i needed to feel confident in myself but The more I've got used to running these sessions, the more I'm just like relaxed and go with the flow. And I might have a vague idea of one or two activities that I'd probably do with the client that day. But most of the time they show up and they want to talk about something else or um, the weather's changed and you can't do what you want to do. Or I don't know, the horse you wanted to work with is not in the mood that day. So you have to pick a different one. So you have to go with the flow um, and just work with what you've got in front of you that day. Yeah, it, that there's a lot of parallels with the stuff we talk about with forest schools and whatever, and, and kind of moving the practitioners because so many practitioners kind of come from this kind of teaching background. Okay, I will tell the children what to do every step of the way, 
and the, but the, actually the most impactful kind of sessions for the children or for people in general are the ones where something um, something chimes with them and then they want to pursue that and it can be frustrating if you kind of held off from diving deeper or or, or going further onto something that you want and and like you you kind of want that that almost that balance where you you guiding a bit but you're really letting the situation develop and it's having the confidence to as you say step back and go okay i'm noticing this what does it mean mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's 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 really interesting. So I I want to be kind of uh, respectful of your time and everything. And um, if it's okay with you, we can start winding things down. Yeah. Okay. So there's a question that I ask every guest, and it is. What advice or tips would you, or guidance would you have for people that want to get outside more often? Uh, I think I'd probably say, like, it's okay to start small. Um, the, the University of Derby have been doing a lot of research on the benefits of nature and they say that they've got this kind of phrase, it's moments, not minutes. There's no point just walking through nature. That's actually not particularly beneficial. Um, so, you, there's, you know, if you went for a 10 minute walk, but didn't pay attention to what you were doing, that's actually not as useful as spending one or two minutes engaging with nature. And nature can be anywhere. Um, there's, I live in a town at the moment and there's a small basketball court near my house and my little toddler daughter loves to run up and down it and the other day I was just sitting by the edge while she was running around um, and I noticed this gorgeous little flower next to me I think it was a, a Germanda Speedwell um, really beautiful very small sort of white and blue flower with stripy petals and I think it commonly grows in urban areas so that's the kind of place where you'd want to look for it is kind of round a fence line but if I hadn't been stopping and like sitting down, I wouldn't have noticed. And I bet most of the kids who go and play basketball and football there don't notice because they don't stop to look. Um, yeah. So I think just stop to look and don't think that you need to go somewhere amazing. Um, just the everyday ordinary things around us are worth paying attention to. And once you've got into that habit of paying attention, you'll start remembering what you've seen and then comparing it to something that you've seen before and noticing the changes. Um, and then, yeah, and then you just fall into this whole world of plant ID and it just, it's just endless. You never stop seeing new plants then when you've walked through a space and thought, it was mostly grass. Um, after a while, you keep walking through it and go, there's something new. Oh, I didn't see that one last time. Um, so just, yeah, start small, but make the moments count yeah that's that, that's actually been a been a theme particularly in the last conversation i had with lee marie over in 
in Wales said we were talking about how how a lot of the lockdowns really have taught us to value the spaces that are close to us a lot more and realize that you don't have to go out to a national park or whatever to discover something special. Yeah, absolutely. And and that the the study you referenced with Derbyshire, yeah, that's that's one of our favorite studies on this podcast. <laughs> we've talked yeah. about it a number <laughs> of times. It's it's kind of yeah, depth and and we've talked about how when you get started with something like foraging, it it takes the wall of green that you see, kind of just past your eyes, and then you just start noticing one more thing and another thing. And then when you look really closely, as you see with the speedwell, you, you look closer and you notice, oh, there's there's actually a stripe on the petals yes. there and there's that over there. And and I guess that's that's mindfulness as well. It, if we need to give it a name, but it's, I think it's just, just being human and noticing beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Paying attention. Excellent. So if, so first of all, um, if people are interested in hearing more about your work or getting in touch with you or anything, is there anywhere we can send them? Yeah. Um, so our website is libertyfarm.co.uk. We're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Liberty Farm CIC. Um, so the, the CIC is Community Interest Company, which means we're not for profit. Um, and we do often get funding for people on low income so they don't have to pay. Um, and then my email is info at libertyfarm.co.uk. So any of those routes. Um, Instagram is probably less good. I'm less often on that one. Um more often on Facebook and Twitter, but I'll pick it up eventually, if, you know, in a couple of days if someone contacts me those ways. Great, and just just kind of, I don't know if, if people aren't necessarily in your area, do you have any advice for people who might be interested in uh, taking a look at equine therapy, how to find a good practitioner near you? Yeah, um, well, the organisation that I trained with, Leap, their website is leapequine.com and they have a map of all the registered practitioners um, who've trained with them. So the registered practitioners, we, we trained with them and then we do 30 hours of CPD every year and we get regular supervision in line with their requirements. So if you go with with one of us, one of the registered practitioners, you know you've got someone who's maintained their credentials and is getting supervision and support for their work so that you can be confident that there's a standard that's being met and it's all being handled safely um yeah. so yeah they've got a map of of everyone who's registered with them showing all the different people all over the country and there's a mix there's some of us who are who are like me who do the equine facilitated learning which is the life coaching side and then there's other people who are counselors on top so they do equine facilitated psychotherapy um, i think we have different colored pins on the map um, and everyone's got a little blurb so you can see, um, yeah, you can kind of see their approach and who they predominantly work with. Um, yeah, if there isn't someone particularly in your area, then you can always just email the nearest person and they might know of someone who works, because there's several different training organisations. They might know of someone who's in the area but who trained with a different organisation. Um or just be able to help kind of point you in the right direction to find someone a bit closer. Yeah, well, there's one thing that I, uh, 
I've kind of got about uh, people involved with horses. They're very community-minded. They're a good network often. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Well, Maggie, this has been a really interesting conversation. I, I, it's been great to kind of, in my mind, kind of flesh out something that I only heard bits and glimmerings of and, and really learn a bit more. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed the chat, that chat as much as I did. It took us a couple of months to get this interview scheduled in, but it was well worth it to be able to talk to someone who's out there and make a difference to people's lives. So if you would like to check out Emma's activities or find out more about the links mentioned, all of the resources for this episode can be found at brackenoutdoors.com forward slash episode and the number 12. Anyway, thank you for listening. And here's to another year of episodes. Talk to you again soon.